1: Politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast.
2: Listen, as bad as the Taliban is, it's nothing compared to the Taliban plus climate change. At least, says Cory Booker. Oh, yes. Count Grand San Spartacus, Booker, and the Tears of Rage band struck up a chord today. At the hearing with Secretary Anthony Blinken and said, oh yeah, Taliban's bad. Climate change is going to make it even worse. Huh? What? Why? The Taliban's not big on recycling? Add that to the list. No women, no recycling. Well, they do recycle uh, the infidels' body parts after they're done with them, apparently. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Hope you're having a uh, great day today. A lot to get to. Got to start off with some sad news. Uh, Norm MacDonald died. Comedian Norm MacDonald, 61 years old, battle with cancer. What an absolute shame. I think he was one of the most brilliant minds in Saturday Night Live. I really do. Guy was funny as a tack. Just always had a great turn of phrase. His delivery was spot on. I think the years that he was at the helm of the Weekend Update desk were some of the absolute best years. I put him right up there with, Norma, with uh, Dennis Miller, and I put him right up there with Chevy Chase. I mean, some of the greats who ever did that. No doubt about that. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, absolutely one of the saddest things of the day today to find out about Norm Macdonald passing away. 61 years old, battling with cancer, too. Didn't want anyone to know. Had a nine-year battle with cancer. Didn't want anyone to know. His friend uh, who was with him when he died, she said, Norm was a comedian, very proud of his work, and didn't want anyone to judge him for his battle with cancer. Didn't want the audience to look at him differently. Didn't want anyone to judge him. So, I just, uh, just very, very sad news. So... God bless his family and thank you Norm for all the all the laughs all the laughs over the years, Norm McDonald is absolutely one of the uh, one of the greats, one of the greats. All right, so uh, Blinken was in front of the the Senate today. Uh, the main the main uh, comment I can give you is uh, as usual, the Democrats are spinning for the most part, except for Bob Menendez who actually went so far today as to suggest that the Secretary of Defense he may subpoena him and bring him in because the Secretary of Defense, uh, was supposed to be there today. And I guess then Menendez went on to say that he wasn't aware that there was a uh, a scheduling conflict, apparently. Uh, so perhaps the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will, will get a pass and will not be on the hot seat after all. I don't know. But what I do know, though, is that if you're watching this today, you find out that the Taliban is as bad as you think they are. And now it's going to be even worse because of climate change. And I got to play this clip from you, from Cory Booker, because this is the kind of stuff you just, honestly, you, can you make this up? I can't make this up. How can anybody make something like this up? It's, this is like a Saturday Night Live parody, actually. It's like something Norm Macdonald would write uh, in the writer's room. He was a writer for Saturday Night Live for many years, too, as well. Uh, NGOs, but, uh, but others
1: as well. And it's a strategic uh, situation. where We know we control significant resources the Afghan government has been relying on to run basic services. This is a strategic leverage that we have over the Taliban uh, to continue uh, to try to pressure them into honoring human rights, honoring the rights of women, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 countering uh, uh, some of the terrorist concerns that we have, and it's very important. However, given what we understand, without those resources, there are going to be continued uh, humanitarian suffering. As the New York Times reported, um, the World Food Program is estimating about 40 percent of Afghans' crops are going to be lost. It's going to be Tremendous hunger as the price of wheat is expected to go up 25%. Uh, the World Food Program's o- own food stock is expected to run out uh, by September. Uh, and so this is tremendous suffering that will come. Uh, it's going to be exacerbated by climate change. Uh, we can literally see uh, issues of starvation hitting the general population. I, uh, I-, I guess wow. if you give me specifically what assurances
2: climate change is going to be even worse with the Taliban in charge. You know, they're not big on composting. I'm just going to point that out to you. Not big on composting. I don't, this guy's amazing. Booker, he finds a way to make everything dramatic. Doesn't he? Everything even more dramatic than you thought. He goes, okay, everybody's spelling out all the bad things the Taliban does, but let me, let me one up them by throwing in climate change. Yeah. Look at me. And everybody just laughs at him and goes, Booker, you're, You're really a parody of yourself. You know that, right? You're a parody of who you used to be. The other breaking news of the day today is that uh, Secretary Milley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, actually, I think, committed treason. I think you can can argue that it was treason. The top general of the United States of America reaching out to one of our enemies, China, and letting him know, hey, listen. Uh, we're going to give you a heads up before there's any attack because we think uh the we think the commander in chief's nuts. So we're going to let you know before anything happens. China, I mean, it's one thing if you call. I guess I don't know England and go listen. We're Canada, we're buds, and so heads up if we invade you, Canada. It's- but there might be legitimate reasons why we had gone to war with China during Trump's presidency. I'm, I'm not I'm not looking at hindsight and saying we should have. I'm saying that it was not out of the realm of possibility that there might have been something that China did to provoke us. They, they had their, their their ships in the South Chinese Sea. I mean, it's not of the realm of possibility. But beyond that point, the military doesn't run this country. The president runs this country. But okay, let me stop. The president runs the military. He's the commander in chief of the military. Let me say that the president doesn't run the country, but the president runs the military. He's the commander in chief and generals don't run our government. The president's the head of the executive branch of government. He's the commander in chief. But generals don't run our government as much as they might want to, no matter who the president is. So in a pair of secret phone calls, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, assured his Chinese counterpart, General Lee, something or other, of the People's Liberation Army that the United States would not strike, according to a new book by Washington Post associate editor Bob Woodward and national political reporter Robert Costa. One call took place on October 30th, 2020, four days before the election, and the other one January 8th, 2022, two days after the Capitol siege. First call was prompted by Millie's review of intelligence suggesting the Chinese believe the United States was preparing to attack. That belief, the authors write, was based on tensions over military exercises in the South China Sea and deepened by Trump's belligerent rhetoric toward China. General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything's going to be okay. We're not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. Is that is that his call to make? Look, I'm not advocating for World War III here, don't misunderstand me, but that's not his call to make. We didn't elect him. It's not the president with the advice and consent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's the president's the commander-in-chief. And the president has a lot of latitude here before Congress can make a formal declaration of war. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just the way it is. War Powers Act gives the president lots of uh, leeway there. Congress wants to get rid of that act. Go ahead. But until that such time, president can act without Congress's formal declaration of war or resolution. We haven't had a formal declaration of war since World War II, but you know what I mean by that. But what I mean is that if you think about the notion of a general going behind the president's back and calling up one of our adversaries, China, and saying to them, listen, if there's gonna be an attack, I'm gonna call you ahead of time. It's not gonna be a surprise, then completely wipes away the element of surprise, which is something you may want in warfare. This guy, how does how does General Mark Milley remain in his job after this? Oh, the left will applaud this. Oh, they'll they'll love this. Oh, he went behind Trump's back. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. They'll he went behind Trump's back. That's outstanding. Yeah. He went behind Trump's back and he tried to do a one uh He tried to do a one up on him and helped our enemies know that if there was anything that was going to go wrong, they'd get the they'd get the surprise phone call. Here's what they wrote here. Milley also summoned senior officers to review the procedures for launching nuclear weapons, saying the president alone could give the order, but crucially that he, Milley, also had to be involved. Looking each in the eye, Milley asked the officers to affirm that they had understood in what he considered to be an oath. Now, what General Milley did in this instance is not in the proper sense of the word treason. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with that. This is uh, a writer at National Review writing that, given that China is not an open enemy in war. Uh, I'd say we've had a Cold War with China for quite some time, and I don't think it needs to necessarily be a formal declaration of war, but I guess maybe for the legal mechanism of treason to kick into place. All right. One could argue, though, that it would be as an offer to commit treason, given that the promise to give notice of a future attack would essentially now undermine the commander in chief. Probably violates the terms of the Logan Act. And what about the Uniform Code of Military Justice? Not a military coup, but wouldn't you say really close to that? There's never a circumstance where you'd want a member of the American military to conduct their own rogue foreign policy. You would never want them doing that, ever. Because, look, let me flip it around for you. What if you had a president who was a total hawk? I mean, excuse me, what's the other one? A dove. Yeah, a total dove, right? And this guy's a big wuss. And uh, our allies, our enemies are walking all over us. And the generals believe that if we don't do something, you know, the United States is going to be in a bad spot. So they decide to preemptively strike. Would, would the left be okay with that? Or, or what if the generals call up our enemies and start threatening them around the world? Would they be okay with that? Do you remember the time that um, Harry Truman relieved General MacArthur of his command in Korea? You remember that? MacArthur wanted to uh, widen the war with a direct conflict with China. Started telling foreign governments that this would happen without Truman. They should, they should go with him. That he was the guy who was going to make all the decisions? You Remember that? Openly calling out Truman on the world stage? Truman fired his ass. That's the way it should be. Woodward and Costa make clear that General Milley knew perfectly well that he was undermining the president's intended policies. In discussions about Iran's nuclear program, Trump declined to rule out striking the country, at times even displaying curiosity about the prospect. CIA Director Gina Haspel was so alarmed after a meeting in November that she called Milley to say, this is a highly dangerous situation. We are going to lash out for his ego? Question mark. General Milley, though, is absolutely fine abiding by the chain of command when Democrats are in charge. Milley, for his part, they write, took what the authors describe as a deferential approach to Biden on Afghanistan. In contrast to his earlier efforts to constrain Trump, the book reveals recent remarks the chairman delivered to the Joint Chiefs in which he said, here's a couple of rules of the road that we're going to follow. One is you never, ever box in a president of the United States. You always give him decision space. You're dealing with a seasoned politician here who has been in Washington for 50 years or so, whatever it is, about Biden, obviously. So there you go. General Milley calling up China. Listen, believe me, if anything happens, you'll know about it from me. I'll let you know. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it doesn't happen anyway. Unbelievable that this would happen. But then again, I mean, it's not surprising. And he'll be cheered on. He'll be cheered. Yay, look at you undermining the commander in chief. Again, I'm gonna say it, right, wrong, or indifferent. President of the United States of America is the commander in chief. We elect him and he conducts foreign policy, not the generals. There's a role for Congress to play, there's a role for the president to play. The generals have no say in it. What they do is they they follow they follow orders. There's limited times in certain theaters where obviously they make they make decisions. But to pick up the phone with an adversary and go, if anything happens. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure nothing happens. But we'll give you a heads up so you won't be caught off. We won't won't be in surprise. What if there was a legitimate reason, honestly, to invade or attack China? I'm not saying that we should have. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not looking for World War III, like I said. But what if there was a legitimate reason? And he calls him up and goes, heads up. The birds are flying. I don't mean the eagles. I mean like nuclear missiles are flying. Then what happens? Now you've lost the element of surprise, which, as last time I checked, is a very important element in war. But either way, the larger point of of a general undermining the duly elected president of the United States of America. Well, say the left never really considered him duly elected anyway. Russia helped him get there, so it really doesn't matter. What else is in the news today that I can tell you? There'll be a lot more on this in the days to come, no doubt about that. And obviously, you have to confirm that Woodward's reporting is accurate and that this was not made up, but it seems to me like it was certainly accurate. And you have to question now, at the very least, why Millie will not be fired. At the very least, that is the question that I have for you. Uh, let me uh, throw a couple of other things your way today. I want to give you a, an overview of what happened. There are about 100 Americans, according to Blinken, who went out of Afghanistan. We're hearing more like it's closer to 1,000 Americans that went out of Afghanistan. That's what we're hearing today. And what's really amazing about this, of course is that there was this really amazing operation, this digital Dunkirk that was done by a bunch of veterans and service members to work to get Americans out of Afghanistan, and it's still ongoing. And everybody who's been looking at this progress that they've been making, this remarkable progress of getting Americans out of there, have said the same thing. Everything the State Department is saying is a bunch of BS. The State Department's lying to everybody. The State Department is lying to everybody. This this whole idea that they're actually working to get Americans out of Afghanistan, it's all BS. It's all BS. They have the Afghan Rescue Crew, which is a, a group of private U.S. veterans and civilians volunteering to save as many vetted at-risk Americans and Afghan allies left behind as possible. It's one of the many groups, along with No One Left Behind, Digital Dunkirk, Allied Airlift 21, Hearts and Homes for Refugees, Samaritan's Purse, the Pineapple Express, Travis Manning Foundation... And so many others, they've rescued hundreds and transported them to third uh, to third country safely. And not only Americans, too. They've also helped Afghan translators, people that fought in the war with us. And they dispute the State Department's characterization of about 100 Americans being left behind on the ground. They said that as of a few days ago, the figure her group had was closer to a thousand, although she noted that every group making a rescue effort has its own list, potentially leading to overlap with one another in certain cases. The thousand figure may include U.S. green card holders, too, which the State Department is putting in a separate category. And she's and everybody they talk to about this is frustrated. Everybody's frustrated by this, as you can imagine. Even retired members of the Afghan army are marked for death by the Taliban. In many cases, people have been called or texted by the Taliban with threats. They're moving from place to place. Many of them are members of the Afghan government, and they're, they're also slaughtering Christians, too. And people are running out of food, they're running out of money, they're running out of water, they're running out of basic resources. They're going after Christians, they're going after Afghans, they're going after children. There's a story that they beheaded two children. I don't know if it's verified or not. There's a video showing six Taliban men beheading an Afghan soldier. Christians in Afghanistan report receiving phone calls from the Taliban pledging to behead them. It's awful what's happening right there. Climate change is going to make it worse, obviously. It's going to infuriate the Taliban even more. I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to even have gallows humor watching all this going on, isn't it? It really is. Isn't all of this going on? Trump impeachment witness calls on Milley to resign over secret China call. Alexander Vindman, a key witness for House Democrats, called on chairman of the Joint Chiefs Mark Milley to resign on Tuesday following revelations that Milley secretly called his counterpart in China to offer assurances that the U.S. would give warning in the case of a nuclear assault. This just broke a few moments ago. If this is true, General Milley must resign, Vindman wrote on Twitter. He usurped civilian authority, broke the chain of command, and violated the sacrosanct principle of civilian control over the military. It's an extremely dangerous precedent. You can't simply walk away from that. Vindman, if you remember, served as an official on the National Security Council and testified in the House impeachment probe about Trump's phone call, the perfect phone call with the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. So, I mean, he's, he's right on this point. He's absolutely right on this point. Civilian control of the military is essential. And there's no way the left would be happy if, again, some general called up and decided to invade a country because he felt the president was weak. Or if a general decided, you know what? What if a general had said to Biden, look, we're not going to give up Bagram Air Force Base. Screw you. This is one of the dumbest decisions ever. We're not going to give it up. We're going to stay here. In fact, uh, I'm ordering 5,000 more troops to come on the ground. And we're going to go kill the Taliban. Are we going to do it ourselves? Think the left will be okay with that? Of course not. I wouldn't be okay with that. Nobody should be okay with that. Because the military should not be overruling the civilian president of the United States of America. That's not how it's supposed to work. No matter what. Speaking of that, by the way, of of how bad this was botched. You know, a lot of people have said this this all-or-nothing choice in Afghanistan between either you stay forever and ever, literally you're the last man on earth, or you leave in this absolute cluster, right? That's been what we've heard as an ongoing theme over and over and over again. But isn't there another area in this? And that's why a lot of people like myself who wanted out of Afghanistan, have been saying so. There had to be another way. Well, guess what? Today, Senator Rand Paul, also a long critic of our occupation of Afghanistan, he spoke today as he was examining, cross-examining Secretary Anthony Blinken. And I think Rand Paul's points are valid. I think it speaks for a lot of us who did, yes, want the United States to leave Afghanistan, but it was always about, as I told you months ago, how we leave. It's how we leave that matters just as much as leaving And we've got to figure that out so it's done the right way. Listen to some of what Senator Rand Paul said today.
1: Senator Paul.
3: (laughs) I've advocated for an end to the Afghan war for over a decade. I'm glad it's finally over. But never in my worst nightmares could I have imagined that an administration would leave and leave $80 billion worth of weaponry to the Taliban. Dozens of planes and helicopters, thousands of armored carriers, hundreds of thousands of automatic weapons, and worst of all, 13 of our brave young men and women. Never in my worst nightmares did anyone or conceive of such a colossal incompetence. Abandoning Bagram Air Force Base will be remembered as one of the worst military decisions in our history. Holding no one accountable, having everyone circle the wagons and say, hey, we all agreed abandoning a Bagram Air Force base was a great idea. This is going to be remembered by the people. Holding no one accountable for letting the base go, it will be remembered. To add insult to injury, this week you've now released $64 million in aid to Afghanistan. Don't we have some prohibition against giving aid and comfort to the enemy?
2: Okay, let me stop it right there. Great question. Great point. What, why are we giving the Taliban all this money? It, it's, a, it's a payoff is what it is, the shakedown. Taliban's shaking us down, and they got 1,000 Americans at least that we know of possibly behind enemy lines, and they want money. So like any other terrorist, we're going to pay them off now? Like, like I thought we didn't negotiate with terrorists. Okay, we do now. Okay, good to know. It's the Biden doctrine, and we're going to give aid and comfort to the enemy. Well, if we don't, I imagine, because some, so I got some snarky comment on Twitter the other day. and I thought you said the Taliban will be executing Americans on, um, on 9-11. No, I didn't say they would be doing that. What I said was it, it would, it's entirely possible that they might do that. But now we know the reason why they're not, because we're paying them off. We're bribing them. It's like the mafia. They got to wet their beak. The Taliban's got to wet their beak. and Oh, look at all these Americans still here. No wonder why they wouldn't let Americans go home. No wonder why they turn people away at checkpoints. Don't you get it? Of course you get it. You're a smart person. They were turning people away from checkpoints so they would have leverage over us. If all the Americans left, what's the reason for us to write the check? No, 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 no. They had to make sure there were still Americans on the ground. They had to. And they had to act like they were doing everything they could. Well, numerous stories you heard over and over again about people being turned away at the checkpoints. And you know why? Because the Taliban didn't want to let them leave because that's their that's their money. That's their leverage. These people, that's their meal ticket. Unbelievable.
3: Now, the argument from the Biden administration is, oh, we're giving it to charities and it's for the good of the people, for poor people and for women. Well, the Taliban has a history of taking this. Throughout their governance, they would take the money. This was a big complaint we had when they were in power the last time. They now have $80 billion worth of weapons, 350,000 automatic weapons. Do we really, are we really naive enough to believe that we're just going to keep sending charity to Afghanistan and they're not going to interrupt it? I think that's a foolish notion. The $64 million, though, is the tip of the iceberg. There's still about $10 billion out there that was designated for the Afghan government. Can you pledge today without equivocation that the Biden administration...
2: You know, um, it cuts off at that point, but I think it's a great question about how much money the Taliban has. It's the United States money. They say they've frozen the Taliban's money as we're, as we're giving them money. So if you can explain that to me, I can't. I, I possibly cannot explain it to you at all. It's, 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 it's amazing to me. It really is. But, uh, you know, I mean, there, there, there you go. There, there you go. So let, let me, uh, let me go through this. uh, What's happening right now in in some other news of the day today. There was a really interesting exchange that happened today in Montgomery County, Maryland. it could really happen anywhere. It really could because schools are, nuts right now with kids in COVID. And there was a a, a groundbreaking article that came out today. It was a column. I shouldn't say article, but I'm not really sure what the difference is. But uh, a story that came out today about people being hospitalized for COVID. David Zweig writing it. I've had David on. He writes for The New Yorker, among other places. And David Zweig points out in his article and something that actually Dr. Nicole Sapphire tweeted out earlier today, which is that when you think about hospitalizations, which is one of the numbers they keep using for COVID, You have to really look through the numbers here and look through the data and finding out that most of the hospitalizations with COVID are, in fact, mild. Now, this is a big game changer. A new study suggested almost half of those hospitalized with COVID-19 have mild or asymptomatic cases. Being hospitalized with is very different than being hospitalized from. It's ridiculous that those two are still being reported together. Let me give you an example of how that could happen. So as you know, I was in the hospital last week, which is why I didn't do the podcast last Friday. So I was in the hospital, spent most of the day in the emergency department waiting for my transfer up to my room. And they took great care of me, in the emergency department. And at some point, you know, they're going to bring me upstairs and check me in. I mean, I'm not in any rush, by the way, I'm not in any rush. But before I could go to my room on this, on the sixth floor, I had to get a COVID test. Now they were still going to admit me if I had COVID-19, but obviously I would have been classified as a hospitalized COVID-19 patient. I wasn't going to be in the hospital for COVID, but if I had COVID, they would certainly list it. They wouldn't pretend like I didn't have it. And I don't know, maybe they'd put me on a different floor or something like that, or maybe there'd be different protocols around me. I, I, I mean, I assume there would be. Uh, staff would have to be in PPEs and that sort of thing, but my but my hospitalization would now go in the check column of a COVID hospitalization. So everybody who gets admitted to a hospital right now is, is being checked for COVID. In fact, if you have to go in for a procedure, you you have to take a COVID test, even for an outpatient procedure nowadays. So a lot of people that don't even have any symptoms or they're mild might be in the hospital for something else and get a routine COVID test and they're positive and now they're listed as a COVID patient. So that's a really important point. On the other point too, current evidence does not appear to show a need for boosting, boosting booster shots in the general population. This is now according to uh, the FDA, the two people, two MDs and PhDs including two recently retired FDA officials in The Lancet, publishing in The Lancet, they say now considerations in boosting COVID-19 vaccine immune responses, they're saying right now that it does not seem like it's something we need right now. And that the whole idea that Biden came out and said everybody needs a booster shot before the FDA did, which is the reason why those two people quit the FDA. So making a lot of people realize, if you want to talk about politicizing the FDA, that's exactly what Joe Biden's doing. Joe Biden went out there and said, I'm going to make sure that everybody gets a booster shot. The FDA never, never authorized that. The FDA never said you needed one. That's why two commissioners on the FDA quit. Yeah. The only body politicizing anything over here is Biden. That's it. That's what Joe Biden's doing. Uh, I should mention too, as we're discussing COVID right now, AOC, Alexandra ocasio Cortez, you know, she was at the Met. She was wearing that dress, that gown. She said, This is what it means to be a working class woman of color at the Met. First of all, she's not working class. She's a member of Congress. She's one of the most elite people in the world, a member of the United States House of Representatives. She has a staff that we pay for. People drive her around. She gets an allowance for all kinds of fun things, goes to some of the coolest parties on earth, and can go to pretty much anything she wants. She's a member of the House of Representatives. In the majority. With a Democrat in the White House. She's doing just fine. But she said, this is what it means to be a working class woman of color at the Met, she said. And what's funny about this too is that not only is she wearing this dress tax to rich, and all these people there have accountants who make sure that they don't pay their quote unquote fair share of taxes. But also, did you notice in any of the pictures that you watched, all these fancy celebs walking around, none of them wearing masks? Did you notice this? I noticed it. All these celebs who've got gowns on and suit, funny suits on, they're all rich people, all walking around maskless. But all the poor schlubs holding the, uh, the canopies and the pigs in the blanket, all masked up. All masked up, all of them. I know. The working class, working the event, all had to don a mask as they're working. Guys in the kitchen, sweating, making their little outrageously priced food, yep, wearing masks. Now, look, maybe it was the policy of the staff of the Met. I don't know, but the Met requires that their staff is vaccinated. Everybody at the Met had to be vaccinated, so why do they have to wear masks? I mean, the optics of it look terrible. It's like we are the elites walking around without the mask on, breathing on each other, while you, you poor rubes, you schlubs, you working grimy members of the working class with your filth, you will mask up. We don't want to breathe in your filthy air, you heathens.
0: When Aurora and I were first kind of partnered, uh, we really started having a conversation about what it means to be working class women of color at the Met, and we said, you know, we can't just play along, but we need to break the fourth wall and challenge some of the institutions, and, and you know, while the Met is known for its spectacle, we should have a conversation
2: about it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you, listen, you're not working class, okay? You're not working class. There's nothing working class about you. But why are they not in masks? That's what I want to know. Why are these people not te- Remember they always tell us the left always tells us when it comes to masking that we have to uh we have to set an, an example, right? We have to we have to set an example. So why are all these people at the met not wearing masks is what I want to know. Even though they're vaccinated. The CDC guidance right now is that vaccinated people should be wearing masks. Right? Hmm, interesting. Hmm. You think about that for a moment, shall we? Let us absorb on that one for a moment.
1: Smart, funny podcast. This is the Rich Zioli
2: podcast. If you say it is, some of the school policies in America right now are ridiculous. So we know that hospitalizations, the number is not accurate in terms of what it means to be hospitalized with covid or because of COVID, and the idea of kids in COVID, the data has not changed with regards to Delta as far as kids getting severely ill with COVID. That was what the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, said. So a doctor went before the Montgomery County, Maryland School Board today, uh, Dr. Marjorie Smelkinson, and she talked about some of the ridiculous protocols around COVID. Maybe you're dealing with this, excuse me, maybe you're dealing with this with your school, with your kids, Maybe you have to understand the lunacy that is all of this. And the fact that little kids are wearing masks in schools, it still infuriates me, infuriates me. There's no reason for this. Especially when I see them all as school gets out, the masks are off, they're tackling each other, they're playing with each other, as they should be, by the way. I want them to do that. But let's not pretend like they're wearing masks at the Friday sleepovers or any other time that they're all hanging out together. Nor should they. But listen to what this doctor said. I think this doctor had some really good points today.
0: I'm Dr. Marjorie Smelkinson, and I'm an infectious disease scientist and have four elementary school students. Last Thursday, most of my son's grade was quarantined because of one COVID-like symptom. Not a COVID case, just a headache. Quarantines based on symptoms will result in our kids sacrificing yet another year of of their education to ridiculous and unscientific policies. This policy put 1,000 kids into quarantine in just four days.
3: It is the strictest
0: in the nation and goes far beyond CDC and state recommendations. Again, we are a national outlier. Why have you placed so little value on in-person education? Why are you adhering to a policy that will continue to needlessly keep kids out of school? Your misguided approach also puts the burden on one family to test their kid to end the quarantine for the whole class some parents may not be willing to get a test or have the job flexibility or resources to do it quickly. The inevitable consequence of this insane policy is that lower-income students will get fewer days of live instruction.
2: You know, on that point, too, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but if you've had to get a, a rapid COVID test, have you noticed how difficult it is to do that? Because you go to, I mean, around me anyway, in South Jersey, I wanted to get one before some friends came to visit because they were leaving to go to Italy, and so they asked me if I would, and I said, yeah, absolutely, no problem. It, I, I went to the urgent care place around me that, that, that offers the rapid tests, and I walk in there. They go, uh, we're not taking any more people today. I said, oh, okay. They go, uh, you, can, you can come back tomorrow. I said, but I need it today. Oh, sorry. Then I look online for CVS, Walgreens, everywhere, every place. Booked, booked, booked. You need an appointment required. Can't get a rapid COVID test. They used to have these drive-through rapid COVID testing sites. They've all closed down. So to her point about you know all these other requirements that they keep coming up with, get vaccinated or get tested. For a lot of people, getting tested is not an option for them. And even when they're vaccinated, they still may have to get tested. And getting getting tested is a gigantic pain in the in the you know what. It's a gigantic pain. It's not simple. It's not like you just go get a soda out of a vending machine. You have to go to a place and either get a, the, the, the real test where they shove this up your nose and into your brain. And you got to wait twenty four to forty eight hours, sometimes longer, for the results. Meanwhile, you're home quarantined. If you want a rapid test, I mean, good luck. Honestly, good luck finding them right now because so many places require them before you get on an airplane, before you go to places, before you do this or that. Every place is booked now. So she makes a really good point about that too and how this affects low-income people who don't have the ability to take off work and go and sit in a in an urgent care center for six hours waiting for the possibility of getting a, a rapid test.
0: End symptom-based quarantines immediately. Instead, use on-site rapid antigen tests on students with COVID-like symptoms. If they're negative, let them stay. If positive, implement a test-to-stay program instead of quarantining the whole class. This involves daily testing of close contacts for a week and keeping them in school as long as they test negative. Other states are using this as an alternative to quarantining and ensures that only those infected stay home. Last year, you ignored scientific evidence, played politics, and provided some of the least live instruction in the country. This year, be brave and prioritize our children. The state has tests. Get them, use them, and do whatever it takes to keep our kids in school.
2: Well, here's the thing, doctor. You're absolutely right about this, but there are two points I want to make about the reason why you're not going to get loud applause at all these meetings. There are a lot of parents out there who are freaking out because they turn on the news and they hear the media talk about Delta and children, and the media does not do a very good job at all of explaining to people that kids are not getting any sicker with Delta than they were with the Alpha variant. Hospitalizations among kids, deaths among kids, are not increasing under Delta than they were under Alpha. Not in a statistically significant way. It was Rochelle Walensky who said that herself as a CDC director. We are not seeing, we're seeing more cases. We're not seeing more severity. And now we know that one of the biggest indicators, one of the most reliable pandemic numbers, as David Zweig put it, is losing meaning. A new study suggested almost half of those hospitalized with COVID-19 have mild or asymptomatic symptoms. At least, I mean, this this is the kind of thing that we should all be talking about as a country right now. We should all be discussing this and saying this is really good news. But then that calls into a a, a a big question of the nightly news when they go, and hospitalizations rose again in America. Hospitalizations rose again. So this is this is what I mean by the, 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 there's a gigantic fear factor, fear poor, and is still taking hold on America. And again, I'm not diminishing COVID. I'm not diminishing any of these things. But this is what these, the, you have to realize that as long as COVID's around, Tyrants like America's mother in law, Elizabeth Warren, have the ability to put out the nonsense like this. Liz Wolf writing over at Reason.com. Elizabeth Warren demands that Amazon crack down on COVID misinformation. I don't know what misinformation is right now, but uh, Elizabeth Warren will decide, I guess. So she sent a letter to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy with, quote, concerns that Amazon is peddling misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines and treatments through its search and bestseller algorithms. You know, we used to we used to call that freedom. You remember that book, uh, The Anarchist Cookbook? There's a big case about this, whether or not that book should be allowed to be sold. And the court ruled, yeah, it should. People say, well, this book's going to lead people to make bombs and kill people. Yeah, maybe, but it's still a book and should be allowed to be sold. Well, now the left wants any book banned that has anything they don't like about COVID. They'll decide what's misinformation and then, I guess, burn the book or harshly delete it. It's really not many books in print these days, right? I still prefer to read them in print. But again, you know, it's my generation. I know some some young person will go, okay, boomer, shut up. During the week of August 22nd, 2021, my staff conducted sample searches on Amazon.com of pandemic-related terms such as COVID-19, COVID, vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine, and pandemic. The top results consistently included highly ranked and favorably tagged books based on falsehoods about COVID-19 vaccines and cures. First of all, is there not a better use of your staff's time? I'm paying these people. Is there not a better use of their time than doing little word, word game searches on Amazon? They also search toilet seat, toilet, toilet scrubber, toilet brush, bidet, and toilet paper. Warren asked Amazon to conduct a review within 14 days and provide public reports on both to the extent to which Amazon's algorithms are directing consumers' products containing misinformation and on a plan to change the algorithms. Uh, yes! <laughs> <clears throat> now, she's right. There is a book that comes up that has been blasted for its inaccuracies. But so what? I mean, there's lots of books that have inaccuracies, both about history both about um, philosophy, what to eat, what not to eat. Should we just ban all of them? I mean, it all depends on who's in charge, right? I had this great question today with my wife about does Patrick need to have breakfast before school? He's not really hungry in the morning, and he said, "Because mom, I just, I really just, I'm not, I'm just not hungry." So we give him a snack, a healthy snack to take with him, and then he eats it in, yeah, when he's hungry. But and she said, I'm just, I grew up thinking that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. Now, for me personally, I do the intermittent fasting. So I don't eat at least till 11 o'clock every day. Weekends are different, but during the week, you know, I do the show in the morning. I can't eat before the show. Uh, and then I don't want to eat during the show because then I'll be just be coughing and you know, digesting and I'll fall asleep. And You don't need that happening. So I wind up eating about 11 o'clock, sometimes later. And I'm fine. I feel great. I've actually, I, I don't even like eating necessarily before a certain time. I just don't feel good doing it anymore. But I grew up too hearing that as probably you did. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You know, that came from lobbyists, right? I mean, the big cereal, big cereal. They, they lobbied very hard for the government to say that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. And they did. They certainly did. Remember for years how we had the food pyramid? that told us that we should be eating grains all day, like cows just eating grains? Remember that? We all got fat from eating breakfast cereals, grains all day, low fat. Remember that? Low fat? Was all that misinformation? I don't know. It depends on who's in charge. Because if we had these misinformation rules at the time... Uh, on social media, if we had social media back then, I'm sure that the breakfast lobby would have been making sure that Congress went after anybody who questioned whether or not your your kid should be sitting down with a gigantic bowl of sugary cereal every day or not sugary cereal, just a big bowl of carbs in the first place. Who? What's misinformation? Who decides? This is the problem. But she says that Amazon already engages in content moderation, choosing to remove some books rife with misinformation from its shelves, suggesting that Amazon uh, is already in the business of this, and so then uh, go all the way, she says. But Amazon doesn't have to explain a damn thing to Elizabeth Warren. If Amazon wants to take a book down, it's entirely allowed to do it. It can do whatever the hell it wants. It's a private company. It it has every right to do so. When a private company does things in its own self-interest, then, hey, knock yourselves out whether I agree or disagree. But when America's mother-in-law comes around waving that big U.S. Senate letterhead in their face, that's the government coercing them to do something. And I don't like that. As a consumer, I don't like it. And, and as somebody who supports the First Amendment, I don't like it. Because the private sector then gets intimidated by America's mother-in-law nagging them. And then they wind up doing it out of fear of government reprisal. And that should never happen. It's like the reason why ABC took that movie, The Path to 9-11, which I've talked about a lot the last couple of days. It's gone. Good luck finding it. People have asked me, I said, try searching YouTube or eBay or something path to 9-11 is gone because a bunch of Democrats wrote a letter to ABC, the president of, of Disney, Bob Iger, saying either this movie comes down or we're going to take a real hard look at your broadcast license. That should never happen. The government should never get to say, we don't like your movie. We don't like your books. Uh, and we're going to we're going to threaten you. Should never. It happens all the time though. with the left. They do this all the time. And in this case now, it's the government deciding, well, we don't like your information, so uh, take it down and we're coming after you. But information changes all the time. If I wrote a book back in April of 2020 saying, and the title was, The COVID Lab Leak Theory, I'm sure that America's mother-in-law would have wanted that book taken down for misinformation. Probably would have been taken down for misinformation. But now we know it's not misinformation, right? There was a petition calling for the removal of a book called Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. By Abigail Schreier, and Amazon made the decision not to run sponsored ads from her publishing company promoting the book. It ultimately chose to sell the book despite the outcry. Amazon will make whatever decisions it wants to make, and you as a consumer can choose to use them or not. I just don't want government getting in the butting their big, ugly faces in any of this stuff. It's not where they belong. Because they have to worry about bigger issues than having their staff check things, word searches on Amazon. They got to worry about bigger issues like how the Taliban is going to react to climate change, right, Senator Booker? How the Taliban is going to react to climate change? Because that, to me, t- still by far, still the best part of today. I still really have to give it to Count Gransangela, Spartacus, Booker, and the Tears of Rage band. I mean, give the guy credit for entertaining us. Right? He always does entertain us. He always finds a way to just one up himself. I got to play it one more time for one one more time here with with Senator Booker. Here we go. Uh,
1: NGOs, but uh, but others as well. And it's a strategic uh, situation where we know we control significant resources. The Afghan government has been relying on to run basic services. Mm -hmm. This is a strategic leverage that we have over the Taliban uh, to continue uh, to try to pressure them into honoring human rights, honoring the rights of women, uh, 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 countering uh, uh, some of the terrorist concerns that we have, and it's Mm -hmm. very important. However, given what we understand, without those resources, there are going to be continued uh, humanitarian suffering. As New York Times reported, Um, The World Food Program is estimating about 40 percent of Afghans' crops are going to be lost. There's going to be tremendous hunger as the price of wheat is expected to go up 25 Mm -hmm. percent. The World Food Program's own food stock is expected to run out uh, by September. right? Uh, And so this is tremendous suffering that will come. Uh, it's going to be exacerbated by climate change. Boom! Uh, Thank you for that,
2: Senator. We appreciate that very, very much. The Taliban will be exacerbated by climate change. Uh, again, rest in peace, Norm Macdonald. Thank you for all the laughs. Uh, he, he was great during the OJ years. You remember that? He was just fantastic. All those years of him doing Weekend Update, he will be—he will really be missed. And um, ah, I just feel bad for his family. I really do. Uh, oh, that's the wrong button. I keep hitting the wrong button. I see. I can one, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to get this right. You know. No, like I know he was a bad dude. I mean, come on. Let's stop. Here we go. Nope. Here we go. Maybe I'm doing that as a... Maybe I'm just doing it. I don't know. You no know it is? I just love this podcast too much to ever let it end. It's just so much fun. No, it really is fun. I hope you like it. Give it a rating if you would. Spread the word and please subscribe to it. Appreciate it very, very much. Have a great rest of your day today. Thank you for listening.